0: you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we'll be reading verses 11 through 18. And as you're turning there, I am always reminded on this day, especially communion Sunday, a day I hope you love, I hope your heart responds to, rejoices in. But I'm reminded of the Christian hopeful as they're on their way to the celestial city and they stop at the Delectable Mountains and they're the shepherds that Emmanuel has overseeing the grounds there. Um, They asked them about the mountains, and and the shepherds say, these mountains are Emmanuel's land, and they are within sight of his city. The sheep are also his, and he laid down his life for them. Then on the next day, they they took the pilgrims up to the high hill clear, and from there, with trembling hands, they were given a telescope, and they were able to, to zoom in, to focus in on what they thought was the gate uh, of the celestial city and the glory emanating from it. And, and it caused them to rejoice. And, and I think that's what Sundays should do. That's what they ought to be. They ought to be these moments where we, where we come and where we feast, where we hear the word, where we pray, where we come together, where we take the Lord's Supper, and where we meet as the body of Christ in fellowship groups. And by the end of the day, I think heaven... By faith is within sight. And that is my hope for us today. Well, John 10, 11 through 18, if you would stand as we read in honor of God's word. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming. And leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. You may be seated. I cannot think of an image that's more, that brings more comfort to believers than the good shepherd. In fact, if you were to go to the catacombs of Rome, you would find that image painted on the walls there. And the frescoes that, that uh, adorn the walls that they have found um, over time. Throughout history, more paintings have, hap- have come about. In the, in the Reformation, Renaissance era, the Good Shepherd was painted multiple times. One by Bartolome Murillo, who actually painted Christ as the Good Shepherd as a little child. And the whole idea there was to evoke feelings. Uh, as you see the child with the staff and, and the conquering of paganism behind him, uh, you, you, it, it should inspire feelings is what he had hoped. Also, we have many modern paintings today that maybe even in your own home where you have an image of Jesus rescuing a lamb, going after that one lamb that has, that one sheep that has left the 99. Maybe you have a figurine uh, of the good shepherd on your bookshelf. I do, because I bought it this week in a rare moment, and it ain't never increasing. Always, uh, I'm getting more and more sentimental as I get older, and as I was studying this, I thought, you know, I had some birthday money. Yes, I get birthday money, I'm 51, but I get birthday money. And with my birthday money, after my wife questioned me if I really wanted that, um, I did. And so the older you get, the more sentimental, And I have asked my wife on multiple occasions she is slipping soy into our uh, diet because I'm getting a little more sentimental. I don't know. Anyways, we'll keep going. Our hearts are instantly comforted by the image of Christ, the Good Shepherd. And John's purpose, though, as he writes the gospel, is more than just evoking comforting feelings. It's more than just hoping that we will, you know, follow, that we will think well of Christ. What John writes is he wants us to bow down and worship Christ as God, God the Son. And so we have four points today. First, the shepherd declares his divinity. The shepherd details his sacrificial death. The shepherd describes the deserters. And the father's delight in the deliverer. First, the shepherd declares his divinity. That's what we have right away in the I am the good shepherd statement. Seven times John chronicles or writes down these statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. These statements hearken back to the Old Testament. I am that I am these things. And those hearers would have heard in his statement that would have pricked their ears because they would have thought back to uh, the Old Testament. And the name for God, And remember, Jesus had no problem sharing the names of God, the honor of God, the works uh, that God did, he did, uh, the attributes of God. Christ received worship as God. Christ, in John, it is made clear, is God the Son. He is the Christ. In fact, John writes this towards the end where he says, that I'm writing these sayings, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in his name. And he begins the book with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he, at, towards the end, we have Thomas bowing down to Jesus saying, my Lord and my God. Throughout the book, we have Jesus making clear statements of his deity so much that the Jews are seeking to stone him. And here in this very statement, this I am statement, the Jews claim that he is demon-possessed by the time he is done. And, And they say, basically, who are you, a man who makes yourself out to be God? The shepherd is declaring his divinity. And Jesus as God, to believe in Jesus as God then, brings life. That is what John said, to believe in Jesus is to have eternal life. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but passes from death to life. And then in his high priestly prayer, as he's going to the cross, he prays this. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And as one author wrote, believing in John's gospel goes beyond mere intellectual assent. It involves putting one's trust in Jesus. Well, that is what I hope for all of us. I hope that we are all in the one fold. And my prayer today is that as we look at the Good Shepherd, uh, that it would either cause us to worship him more as his sheep, or it would cause you for the first time to bow down and worship him. Well, Christ says he is the good shepherd, and the word good in our day and age has become so common that it's really, it, the word doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, a lot of times it, it could mean better than average. It can mean, if somebody's a good athlete, you might say he is a really good athlete. She is a really good student, and that generally means that of those that they are participating with, they stand out above the others, okay? So... There is an element of that where they're good. They they're above that. We might say that he is a good boy, a little good boy, or she's a good girl, or you know, and that means that they are somewhat moral and they aren't talking back a lot and they don't. They're not the child that gives you the most problems. Uh, You're good. Food is good. Entertainment can be good. Good is stands apart from evil, and we even use it as an expression. Good day or have a good night, or good grief, I hope you finish quickly, because I because it's going... But in the Gospels, good is used in this sense. It can be used of one of two ways. The word coloss, the word coloss can mean morally good. could mean that when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, Jesus is saying, I am the one who is morally good. I am the one who has kept the law. I am a moral superior like the rich young ruler who when he saw Jesus, saw him as a moral superior. But when he needed to see him as God, he wasn't willing to. He turned away sad. Jesus isn't saying here that he's morally superior or that he's morally good. In fact, sometimes morally good people are repugnant people. They are people who gloat in their self-righteousness. There are religions who build their whole system off of being morally good, Islam being one of them. But the reality is, is that's not what this passage is talking about. Jesus isn't saying, I am a morally good shepherd. Rather, the other definition is much more suitable. And it means beautiful, excellent, choice-surpassing, admirable. You get the idea that Christ is one. There is no one like Christ. There is no one that you compare Christ to. He's not better than others. He's not superior to others. No one can be compared to him. There is only one. Only one can say, I am the good shepherd. He didn't say, I am one of many shepherds. He didn't say, I hope to be a good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And in that statement alone, our attention is drawn directly to the Lord Jesus Christ, with whom we have to do and who John wants us to face. If I were to say, I have a rock that I would like you to look at, and it's very nice, uh, you would might be impressed, you might not. But if I said I had a diamond, uh, 200-karat diamond that is a mineral, but we call it a rock. And I said, come and look at this shining diamond. You might be a little more impressed as it glitters and and the beauty of that diamond uh, is just captivating. That's Christ. We ought to be captivated by the person of Christ. We don't just see Jesus here as the kind shepherd who is leading his sheep. He is that, he does that, but John wants us to know he is much more than that. He is excellent for more than just those things. He is beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing we have ever seen or heard, and we ought to stand in awe of the good shepherd. He is pure in heart. He is righteous above all. There is no stain of sin. Never once did Jesus approach somebody with a mixed motive or manipulating someone. There was no deceit found in him. There was no sinful pride. He was sincere in all that he said. He was virtuous. In a defiled world, he was pure. In a world full of deceit, he was true. In a harsh world, he was gentle And in those who are pursuing self-righteousness, like the Pharisees, he was truly righteous. And as we sing sometimes, he's fairer than lilies of the rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out of the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead. Or as Samuel Rutherford, the Puritan once wrote, no pen no words, no image can express to you the loveliness of my only, only Lord Jesus. Why is it that we don't often see him that way? Why is it that we sometimes even get bored or, or Jesus just becomes, yes, we know, theologically we know who he is and, and we, you know, we go to class, we go to Sunday school, we go to church, but he doesn't captivate our attention. If he does, then wonderful. And I pray that it would cause you, as John wants us to, to bow down and worship. But for many of us, we might be bored. It might only seem like facts on a page, words on a page. I am the good shepherd. It's only just a figurine on the shelf. It's only this or that, rather than life itself. Jesus was more than a rabbi like those around him. Yes, he was a rabbi, but in the book Putting Jesus in His Place, it says the rabbis interpreted the Torah within the stream of oral tradition and rabbinical reflection of Scripture that had been going on for centuries. That oral tradition passed down and as reflected in each generation was written down by the scribes. Rabbis would base their teaching on that. And so anyone who came and didn't base their teaching off of those who came before them, expounding the scribes and rabbis before them, that was an outrage. Well, let me just let you know what Jesus said. He said, you have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. In fact, his teaching, his words were so captivating that the crowds were astonished. Astonished, that's not a small word. They were astonished because he taught with authority. He taught as if he came from God. Not like the scribes and Pharisees who just taught their systems and relied on their rabbis and so on, few, uh, past scribes and rabbis. No, Jesus taught with authority. And this statement comes with Authority. He is the good shepherd. Shepherd. Shepherd symbolizes faithfulness in the Bible. Oftentimes, Abel, Jacob, Moses, David, were all shepherds. Psalm 23 may be the most comforting uh, passage in all of Scripture. We go to it at funerals. We go to it when we're walking through valleys in our own life. We, we learned it when we were first a child. Uh, it is often, again, in, pictured in art and in children's books. Shepherds are often represented as faithful, but they're also represented as unfaithful. And there are unfaithful shepherds, as we'll see in hirelings in just a moment. Jesus said, I am, I am the good shepherd. What is so captivating about Christ is that when we see him, we understand that all the scriptures, according to him, testify about him. All the scriptures point to Christ. All the promises of God throughout scripture are fulfilled in him. All the types in the Old Testament point to him. And it's this one that we can commune with, and yet we do it so poorly. Again, Rutherford said, I am in a sweet communion with Christ as a poor sinner can be. And I'm only pained that he has so much beauty and fairness. And I little Love. He, greater power and mercy, and I, little faith. He, much light, and I, bleared eyes. I am the good shepherd. But next, it's this next statement that will bring, literally bring a smile to the Father, will bring the Father joy. It's this next statement that will confound the angels. This next statement signals defeat for Satan. This next statement will mean that the shepherd will become the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This next statement will, be, this will indicate that there is salvation for the elect. And this next statement will divide eternally the sheep from the goats. And so we're going to look at, under this shepherd's declaration of his sacrificial death, three things. First, the simple word the specific people in the special relationship. First, the simple word. If we were to go to our text, I am the good shepherd, verse 11 says, the good shepherd lays down his life and that next little word has been called by at least one theologian, the greatest word in all the Bible. For. That simple word for in the Greek, huper, huper, it can mean things like concerning, But really in John, it always means for the sake of, for the benefit of, instead of. For the sake of, for the benefit of, and then because when you you take it that way, it then leads to instead of. The the good shepherd lays down his life for the benefit of the sheep, for the sake of the sheep, or instead of of the sheep. Two times Jesus says he's the good shepherd. Four times he says, I am going to lay down my life. This indicates clearly that Jesus died for more than a moral, to be a moral example. Jesus didn't set an example for everybody else to follow because no one else could follow. Jesus as the divine son of man was the only one who could be a mediator between God and man. And the very word indicates that that the shepherd was going to die in the place of the sheep. This is the vicarious that is in the place of substitutionary atonement. And this is where you and I need to plant our flag. This is where you and I need to drop our anchor. All of eternity hinges on this word. For if you have not been Died for, if you have not been, if Christ has not paid the penalty for you, you are outside of his fold. And you, one day, when all when the world will stand before him, will not be with the sheep, he will be with the goats. In Truth Trek, we we have catechism for this reason: that our children will understand biblical doctrine. It's vital. It's vital. And one of their questions is, what is meant by the atonement? Because I couldn't remember it, I wrote it down. And it's this. Christ satisfying divine justice by his sufferings and death in the place of sinners. Christ died as a sacrifice. If we were to go to Isaiah 53 and and you watch for this little word for and circle them. These are the words that Luther said were written in golden letters. Christus pro me, Christ for me. We come to the table today not just because Jesus died in hopes that sinners would come. We come to the table today because Christ died for me. And this is what Scripture says. He was pierced, Isaiah 53. Pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It goes on to say in verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Interestingly, as Christ was going to the uh, cross, he was praying for us, for his sheep. Well, next, there's a specific people. It's a simple word that indicates a substitutionary atonement, but he died for specific people. This atonement was, again, not just to to provide a, a way. It was to secure eternal life. Again, as I just mentioned, as Christ was going to the cross, on his mind was not the world. That's very clear. He loved his own until the very end, John 13. John 17, I am not praying for the world. I am praying for those whom the Father will give me. I am praying for the, all those who will believe on me through their word. Christ clearly is praying for the sheep that he will die for. There is a specific nature to what he says, and and it's, he's intentional. Look at the, look go down to the verse. Verse. Uh, we'll start at verse fifteen. Just as the Father knows that I know, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. Christ died for Jews and Gentiles brought into the same fold. This is clear in Acts twenty twenty eight, by the way, where Paul says to the elders of the church in Ephesus, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, which he made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained and purchased by or with his own blood. Archibald Alexander, the old professor at Princeton, would, as he got older and young preachers would come in, his advice to them was make much of the blood. Make much of the blood. Ephesians 5, 22 through 25, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for who? Her. Christ gave himself up for the church. And clearly, as we begin to move out away from there, Christ died for all those that the Father would give him. Sheep are unable to protect themselves. Sheep are helpless without the shepherd. Uh, Sheep need to listen to the voice of the shepherd or they will wander off, wander astray. Sheep are not animals that can make it on their own. In fact, back in that day, shepherds led from the front, and the sheep followed. And the shep- shepherds would know each sheep by name. And so we know as sheep, as if, we were to, if we were to go to other passages and understand what is beyond this metaphor, we know that sheep are born dead in sin. That is, that if you're sitting here today, you are born as a living corpse, You are not walking around with a heart that longs to please God if your heart's not been changed. You are not more righteous than your brother because you do less bad things than he does. You, as I, we are born dead in sin. Total depravity. We are following the prince of the power of the air because that's what dead people do when it comes to spiritual things. We follow the one that will lead us to destruction. This is out of Ephesians. We are slaves to various passions and pleasures. We think we're free, but we're slaves. And today, if you're here and you are living a life of sin, that is outward sin, and you think that you can call on the name of Christ or call yourself a Christian and live that kind of lifestyle, you are not in his fold if you are unwilling to repent. You are living a life, a life of slavery. And that is not the shepherd, the good shepherd. We are led astray by disobedient, like disobedient fools. We live out the works of the flesh. This is the sheep. This is the sheep that the Bible talks about here. This is who we were and maybe who some of you are. But listen to Christ's love for the sheep. Listen to John Calvin here. Christ is so anxious, as we see here in this text. He is so anxious for his sheep's salvation that he does not even spare his own life. And what we're going to find is the hireling has no desire to save the sheep. A hireling is about himself. Christ came to lay down his life for the sheep. Why would Christ give his life for me? Why would Christ give his life for you? What objections, by the way, for sitting here saying, I, you know, maybe Christ died for you, but he didn't die for me. What objections can you give where that is, is valid? There are none. Christ died for his sheep. D.A. Carson, in writing that this cannot just be a moral example, but a substitutionary sacrifice, says the shepherd does not die for his sheep to serve as an example, throwing himself off a cliff in a grotesque and futile display while bellowing, See how much I love you! No, the assumption is that the sheep are in moral danger, that they're in their defense, the shepherd loses his life that by his death they are saved. That and that alone is what makes him the good shepherd. This Lord's Supper today points to the reality that our good shepherd had to die for our sin. He didn't just die as an example. This is not just an example. This points back to the once for all sacrifice that had to take place or we would pay the penalty. We are in mortal danger. If someone, if the good shepherd does not lay down his life for us. Philip Keller, you may know his book, A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. He wrote this and, and, and how much he loved his own sheep that he had purchased. He became a shepherd in East Africa and, and just wrote this wonderful book. He said, they belong to me only by virtue, that is his sheep, of the fact that I paid hard cash for them. It was money earned by the blood and sweat and tears drawn from my own body during the desperate grinding years of the depression. And when I bought that first small flock, I was buying them literally with my own body, which had been laid down with this day in mind. Because of this, I felt in a special way that they were in very truth a part of me and I a part of them. This made those 30 years exceedingly precious to me. And that's what Christ did. Christ purchased us, not just with hard work and sweat and tears, but with his own blood. The shepherd spilt his blood. He gave his blood. He didn't lose his life. He went anxiously. In the First World War, a young French soldier was wounded, and his arm, as the story goes, had to be amputated. The surgeon struggled to tell the soldier what happened when he woke But he said, I'm sorry to tell you that you have lost your arm. The soldier replied very calmly, I did not lose my arm. I gave my arm for France. Jesus gave himself for his sheep. Charles Spurgeon said, I do not believe in an atonement which is admirably wide, but fatally ineffectual. See, if Jesus only went to the cross in hopes that people would come into the fold, he would not be able to say, it is finished. He would not be able to have the confidence and determination here, I have other sheep, they will listen to my voice. What Jesus prays for, he gets. Jesus prayed for the world. I mean, Jesus prayed for a sheep, he did not pray for the world. So there, next, is a special relationship. This is important because this word, if we go back, to, he says, I am the good shepherd in 14. He says, I know my own and my own know me. This word ginosko is important because it means I know in the sense that I have a relational knowledge of. I know you experientially. I have come to know by experience or by relationship who you are. This is not the word oida that, that often just means that you know about, that through your own perception you know. And sometimes I think that maybe we, that some who profess to know Christ live according to that. Well, I know, I know Christ. I know him. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I go to church, and I pray to prayer, and I, yeah, I know all about him, and I go to all the activities. But that's not knowing Christ. That's not the word gnosko here necessarily, although those things might be evident. You can know Christ, that English word know, and Christ not know you. Here Christ says, I know my sheep, and they know me. See, it doesn't so much matter if you think you know Christ. What matters more is that he knows you. You see, this word shows up again sometime in the future. In Matthew 7, we see where many who thought they knew Christ show up, and they said, Lord, Lord, didn't we, we did all sorts of things in your name. We did this, we did that, we cast out demons, we we did all these things. And did that matter? No. No. Jesus is now going to come back and use the word gnosko, and he said, but I never knew you. You said you knew me. You claimed to know me, but I didn't know you. You see, relationally, you don't know me. You did not follow me. He said my sheep will follow me. Later on. And so I urge you today to make sure that when you say you know Christ, when you know the good shepherd, to make sure that he knows you. Next, we have the shepherd describes the deserters. We're just going to move very quickly on these last two points. Shepherd described deserters. And the only reason I want to mention them is because they're really the backdrop of what makes Jesus good. We can, I mean, Jesus is good, he's, he, he's precious, he's valuable, he's all these things. But we now see what happens with a hireling. Jesus is going to use these as teachers who are not like the thieves and robbers he mentioned a few verses before. They are more those who are just not interested in the sheep. They're, they're more interested in their own motives. They don't really care for the sheep. They don't really have the sheep's interest, best interest of the sheep in their mind. They have been hired to just do their job. Like Philip Keller said, those sheep weren't really part of them, part of him. And for these hirelings, the sheep are not part of them. They simply have been called in to do what they're called to do. And their motivation is not to please the shepherd, but it is to get paid. In fact, what we find out is when the wolf comes, he will see danger coming. He sees it, and what does he do? Does he protect the sheep? No, he flees. The moment that he stops benefiting this hireling, he will take off. He doesn't care about their faith. Doesn't care uh, if we were to go more into... uh, A pastor, but in this sense, flees when danger comes. The sheep, remember, are dependent on someone to follow. He leaves them. He will not lay down his life for the sheep. He will let the sheep be injured or killed. And the first thought when the wolf comes is, I am leaving. He's self-focused. He looks to preserve himself. This is what the Pharisees did. Pharisees were all about morality. Pharisees were all about looking good. They were outwardly righteous according to the law, but inwardly they were full of dead man's bones, Jesus said. But not Jesus. His first thought is, I lay down my life for the sheep. Remember, congregation, we were in danger. We were in danger of paying the penalty of our own sin, the wrath of God, the eternal wrath of God, Today, this week, many have dropped into hell who were not part of Christ's sheep. They are paying in full the penalty of their sin. Under shepherds, then, are called to reflect the chief shepherd. And let me just mention, as, a, as an aside, that that it's not easy to be a true under-shepherd. Under-shepherds are sinners, and it's easy to give in when things get tough. It's easy to garden in April. It's hard to garden in August. It's easy to garden when there's lots of fruit and flowers. It's hard to guard when those, you're barely keeping the plant alive in the heat of summer. One, one man that I want to bring attention to in the past is Martin Rinkert. Here's a faithful shepherd. This faithful shepherd was born on April 23rd, 1586, faithful under-shepherd. He was a teacher in Germany, born in, a teacher in the town that Martin Luther was born in. He pastored in a town nearby, and during the 30-year war in Germany, which, which did more destruction than World War I or World War II, several countries had become involved, but the town he lived in was a walled community, and so there people often sought refuge, including soldiers. And There already was not a lot of food, and the soldiers would come in, and they would plunder all the homes, so the residents had little food. But then a plague came in, and because everybody lived close together, the plague began to decimate the town. One of the clergy took off. He's gone. He wasn't going to stick around to minister to the people in need. Two others died right away, and that left Martin Rinker with the opportunity to flee for his own life, him and his wife. But he chose to stay he would end up burying 4,500 people, sometimes 50 a day, 50 funerals a day. He even would end up performing his wife's funeral. Then the plague came, or then the famine came, sorry, after the plague. And so famished was the, were the people in the town that if a dead crow or a dead cat was found, 40 to 50 people would be fighting just for that food. 8,000 would eventually die and all, but... But Martin Rinkert would stay, and and he would minister to the people. He loved the sheep. He loved the gospel, and he ministered to them. And he wrote that wonderful hymn that I hope you'll teach your children. Now thank we all our God. We often sing it at Thanksgiving time. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices, who through wondrous things has done, in whom his world rejoices. And, And it goes on, a great hymn. Martin Rinkert, there are under shepherds. And emulate the great shepherd. Well, last, the Father's delight in the deliverer. And I just want to say a couple things here. First, what the Father purposed, the Son would carry out as would the Spirit. In fact, John emphasizes the relationship between the Father and Son. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves to obey the will of the Father. They are connected. They are one. We will also see the Father, Son, and Spirit working together, this Trinitarian relationship. But I already mentioned, just for our our purposes today, when it comes to us and our salvation, the Father and Son were working together before time began. All that the Father gives me, John 6.37 says, will come to me. And anyone, here we go, because you might say, well, then what if I'm not part of the sheep? What if I am not one of Christ's sheep? Well, here's how you can know. And anyone who comes to me, I will not cast out. This specificity of Christ going to the cross for his sheep does not rule out the free offer of the gospel. The gospel goes out to all. And anyone, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. Anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord will be the one, will know that the Father has given you to the Son. No one can sit here and say, well, I'm not part of Christ's sheep. Maybe he didn't die for me. Call upon the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The good shepherd died for his sheep. He secured all that we needed. And I close with, with this application. First, if you are here as a believer, that you would conduct yourself in fear, knowing that you have been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. What Christ did pleased the Father. It says here that the Father loves his Son because he laid down his life for the sheep. What we will celebrate here today pleases the Father. It's a remembrance of that once for all sacrifice of what Christ did. But you cannot come here today if you don't know the shepherd. You cannot say I will just you know, I'm 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 going to live the way I want to live. I know Christ and I'm going to keep going. You may think that in your mind, But Christ knows you. He knows each of his sheep. He knows them by name. And I would encourage you, if you have yet, to put your faith and trust in the good shepherd, that you would do so today. That even as we come today, that this would be a reminder of his great sacrifice for the sheep. That he laid down his life for the sheep. This is what makes him precious what we will celebrate today ought to give you if you'll put on the spectacles of Scripture. And by faith, see what the good shepherd did. It ought to strengthen your faith. It ought to assure you of his love. It ought to give you a glimpse of the future coming of Christ as we proclaim his death. And it ought to cause us to live in a manner that brings him glory and him glory alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come today rejoicing in these words. Rejoicing not just in words, but the words spoken by Christ himself. We're thankful that he can accomplish this work. He is the only one. We're thankful that the work that we remember today pleases you, Father. We're thankful that every time a sinner repents, there is joy in the presence of heaven or what we celebrate here confounds the angels. And yet we can come boldly to your throne because of what Christ has done. I pray that we would examine ourselves here today. Lord, I pray no one would come, dare come to this table thinking that they can know you, that they can know about you, but have no desire to live for you. I pray they would repent and find true salvation today. I pray that we as your sheep, that we would follow, that we would listen to your voice, that through the preaching of your word, through the reading of your word, through the meditating on your word, through our prayers, and even through the Lord's Supper here, that we would continue to follow you. These things that you have given us to follow you, to help us to see you, to to help us trust you. I pray that we would lay hold of these means and that it would cause us to see the value of the good shepherd. I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen.